In 2004, Jamey Cascio, co-founder of World Changing, was selected as a founding fellow at the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies. After several years as technology specialist at Stuart Brand's Global Business Network, he went on to craft a wide array of scenarios on topics including energy, nuclear proliferation, and sustainable development. He is currently an affiliate at the Institute for the Future and serves as the Global Futures Strategist for the Center for Responsible Nanotechnology. Thank you for joining me, Jamey. Thank you. Could you explain briefly what the metaverse is? The metaverse is a jargon term that actually comes from Neil Stephenson's novel Snow Crash that describes this uh, emerging world of immersive technologies and uh, global, uh, global mapping and location sensors and augmented reality and life logging and all these really interesting tools that give us a, a much more nuanced and richer sense of what the world looks like around us, both from the ability to uh, layer information upon our, our normal perceptions and from the ability to, to craft uh, almost simulations of what the world can, could be. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Neil Stevenson. He's a science fiction writer and there seems to be a lot of science fiction associated with this conference. Oh, certainly. Well, a lot of what happen what's happening in this conference really could be described as science fiction. This is, a, this is an extremely speculative event. It's uh, talking about an imagined world of technologies that haven't been invented yet, uh, and technologies that are um, in the process of becoming. And what that, you know, the result of that is that since we don't have hands-on experience with a lot of these tools, we have to go through whatever, um, use whatever tools we have to understand the implications. And right now, one of the better tools that, can, that we have at our fingertips to understand the implications and possibilities inherent in new devices and new systems is in fact science fiction. Tell me about your Metaverse Roadmap Overview. This is a really fascinating document. In, uh, it was about a year ago that uh, the Acceleration Studies Foundation convened a, a large conference in, in Palo Alto, bringing together technologists and, and uh, journalists, philosophers, uh, futurists, to think about what the implications uh, might be over the next 10 to 15 years of these emerging uh, immersive and uh, simulation augmentation technologies. Uh, it was a two-day conference, brought in a lot of people from some really interesting perspectives, and as this was all accumulated, they asked me to sit down and take this, this body of information, and in coordination with a uh, ASF founder John Smart, and with uh, the guy who, who ran the conference, Jerry Paffendorf, we crafted a set of four scenarios uh, involving these technologies, describing what the world might look like should virtual worlds, mirror worlds, which are the, the uh, uh, simulations that, give, that take, like Google Earth, that, that take the world around you but then layer on additional information. Augmented reality, which that kind of um, uh, layered perception where you can, you're looking through your glasses but you see the information about the people, the places, the, uh, the products and services around you, and life logging, which is basically taking those augmented reality tools and turning them inward to giving you something of an adjunct memory. Um, what the implications would be as these, these different tools develop. And uh, some of the implications were pretty straightforward and some of them were kind of surprising. Um, one of the things that emerges from a world of life logging, for example, is a is not just a, a lack of or a loss of privacy, which is kind of obvious, but also almost an elimination of 
of secrecy and lies. It becomes very difficult to lie in a world where everything's being recorded. And while that might sound appealing at first, there's some really unpleasant implications to that. I mean, you think about your, rela- your relationship with your, with your spouse or partner. How much of that is, is enhanced by, or at the very least facilitated by, um, the consensual misremembering of slights? And so uh, we had a lot of fun really playing out some of the, the more interesting and obscure implications of, of these different technologies. The result was turned into a, a document called the Metaverse Roadmap Overview, which is available to, for, um, available to download for free at metavor- uh, metaverseroadmap.org. Let's talk a little bit about augmented reality. As we were talking about science fiction earlier, and William Gibson's newest novel called Spook Country, involve, it, which is not science fiction, involves a bit of augmented reality. He has a form of art called locative art where you wear special visors and they enable you to see images sent from servers wirelessly so that you could see art pieces imposed on the real world. Well, actually, I have to say that William Gibson said recently that the only way to write science fiction is to, it, these days is to uh, situate it in the recent past. The forms of augmented reality do exist now, but they're very clumsy, and they're you know, specialized. One off, you have to have a particular set of glasses for a particular set of signals uh, in, this, you know, in Gibson's example. Um, what I'm talking about is a more generalized form where you would use your wearable or mobile device, you know, some kind of advanced mobile phone perhaps, or a set of, of funky goggles, to, um, to view this, this um, ocean of information around you. A, you you're, you're, even today, you're, you're, when you walk, walk around on the streets, you're walking through a, you know, a, you're swimming through an ocean of data about uh, communication and information and signals from both stores and other people. And today, they aren't really, these signals aren't really visible. But as these kinds of technologies develop, we'll have the ability to start seeing you know, the invisible. Seeing the this this flow of information, transaction, and ideas that um, may seem something of a mess at first, but will also start to turn into a another layer of communication, another way of understanding the world, making the invisible and invi- making the invisible visible. And the value of this comes from being able to basically having it serve as a a broader body of consciousness to look at someone approaching you down the street and not just identify their face but also find out who who do they know that you know and what do people think about this person and what is this person where's this person been recently basically it gives you that first set of a first steps of a conversation with someone new but also lets you see immediately how you're linked to them same can be can, can be said for stores or organizations that you may encounter, um, or more importantly, about um, the environment around you, having a much better sense of uh, where's healthy, what's healthy and what's not, having a much better sense of um, what products on the store shelves are ethical, or ethically produced, uh, come from a, a company that you can trust, and which ones don't. And so, um, to my mind, the augmented reality future is probably the one that we're closest to because those tools are all floating around in bits and pieces and they just need someone to start putting them together. At the same time, it's the, the version of the metaverse that's probably going to be the most um, personally disruptive in that 
as you can imagine, when, you, when you're swimming through that ocean of information, um, one of the first things that you'll start seeing in abundance is spam. And so, um, unfortunately, all four of these metaverse uh, scenarios end up being overwhelmed by spam. And that's actually something of a problem, at this, even while it's mildly amusing. The, the next version of the metaverse is something actually I, I talked with Rudy Rucker about, a science fiction, another science fiction writer, life blogging. This is a really fascinating in, inversion of the previous uh, form of the metaverse. Right. Uh, with life blogging, which sometimes I've, uh, I've spoken about in the past as the participatory panopticon, you know, this is a world where these tools of observation and recording and, and uh, data connection end up being focused in towards your own life. It gives you something of a, an adjunct memory. It gives you an ability to remember things that your, your normal meat brain might not. Um, it lets you go back and, and uh, check on something that at the time seemed of only passing significance, but you realize now is actually very important. You can almost think of these tools as like a TiVo for your life. And um, we see actually there are organizations, big companies and small, already working on bits and pieces of this. Microsoft has a, uh, some software they call My Life Bits, which is a way of organizing all of the digital media in your life, including what they have, something ca called a wear cam, which is this big ugly thing that you wear around your neck that takes a picture every 15 seconds and saves it so that it basically keeps, lets you keep track of where you've been. Nokia has something that they're working on. HP has something that they're working on. Uh, there's a small company called Deja Vu, which has a little wearable camera that does that same kind of thing. And what we're moving towards with these technologies is a world where um, you have an opportunity to have a much, uh, a much richer memory of the world even if it's hard, it may be difficult at first to organize and search through. And that's actually where one of some of the, that's where the uh, greatest amount of scientific and technological development will have to take place, not in the recording itself, but in the indexing and cataloging and tagging. And actually that's one of the in interesting implications there, is that as you develop more and more sophisticated tools to um, be able to search through your memories, you know, the, your digital memories, um, these tools start to actually, you know, have the potential to start to actually think like you. And you might end up having this little wearable device that, that carries a, um, a virtual shadow of yourself. Mini-me. Uh, very much so. Um, and, and then you start thinking, well, what can you do with something like that? And you, you know, do you want to have a, a device that can essentially answer your phone for you when, you, you know, when it's somebody calling that you, that you really don't want to talk to? Uh, or you want to have something that can go and take care of your taxes for you, or it's basically just uh, running errands for you, behaving like you, but knowing that it's always you know, um, reflective of your actual interests and, and desires. The third version of the metaverse is virtual worlds. We're pretty familiar with these, and they've come pretty far recently, and there's some interesting talk about the artificial intelligence's not only being used to generate artificial characters, but it being created within the worlds themselves. Yeah, we're very familiar with virtual worlds right now in um, uh, online experiences like you know, World of Warcraft or Second Life. Um, and so what I'm talking about in this scenario is a further development 
of these kinds of worlds, some of which will be purely for entertainment, some of which will be for uh, interaction and, in some cases, business. And what we're seeing at you know, presently are these, these tools or these, uh, these virtual experiences being used for um, basically exploration whether it's, it's channeled in exploration with, with the games or this kind of um, unrestricted exploration in the in settings like virtual, uh, like Second Life or Sony's new home system for their PS3. Um, but as these develop, we're likely to see a, um, a great deal... Uh, as these develop, we're likely to see the... Um, the continued proliferation of of um, exploratory systems, the continued um, development of interesting, novel, and provocative uh, triggers for interaction, and what you mentioned a moment ago about about uh, AIs being involved with the virtual characters. At present, um, some of the most interesting uh, AI work has to do with making the computer-controlled characters in games be more lifelike, you know, behave in ways that uh, feel realistic, feel like there might actually be a person at the other end of that, uh, of that avatar. Um, but there are a couple of organizations that have decided that actually it turns out that virtual worlds may be ideal uh, not, just, you know, not just as um, environments for non-player characters, environments for computer-controlled characters, but actually as environments to raise a um, a young AI in you know environments that would, or systems that would let them control the uh, the world of a of an emerging machine intelligence you know down to you know, down to every detail and it makes it, it actually gives you some an opportunity to have a safer development of a machine intelligence because you're controlling every aspect of what they experience and you know worst case scenario you can always just shut it off. Could you talk about mirror worlds? Sure. Mirror worlds are sort of the um, Google Earth on steroids. It's the notion that you can take this, uh, these emerging tools for uh, satellite-based mapping that have gotten really, really detailed and link them to the, you know, the proliferation of environmental and um, personal sensors that are out there that give you information, everything from what's happening to the climate to what's happening to traffic, to what's happening with, um, with logistics flows for businesses. And in the mirror world scenario, what you see is this proliferation of systems that let you uh, watch the world, to really understand the, the nuances of, of trade flows and transactions and environmental, uh, environmental changes. It's really, and these are really important tools for big organizations, but they also could be useful for individuals to have a much better sense of what's happening to them. Um, the mirror world concept essentially takes a simulation and, and makes it live, makes it uh, reflective of what's happening uh, in the real world around you, but gives you a much greater sense of, of awareness and control over this, these flows of information. It's like a virtual version of the layered world. It is. It's like a a, uh, a much greater and ex much more expanded version of augmented reality, except in instead of seeing just what's in front of your face, you're actually seeing what's happening on the planet. You can also think of it as sort of a real-world version of maybe The Sims 
or Civilization or some, one of those games like that. Could you talk about some of the implications of the metaverse itself and these four different versions, how the competing versions are, could potentially change the way we live? There are a couple of really important aspects that cross all four of these scenarios that, we, that are um, very likely to change not just how we live, but what we want to do with our lives. Uh, the first is the, the intensity of the information flow. You, know, you suddenly, with all four of these worlds, you have access to much, much greater uh, levels of information about yourself and about the world than, than you have today. And while that may be a good thing in most respects, it's also something that can, that can end up being problematic uh, in terms of, of what other people know about you. And that actually leads us to the, sec you know, the second big issue, and that's around trust and transparency. All of, these, all of these worlds have the potential to turn into dystopias of overwhelming visibility, you know, uncontrolled visibility, and prob most problematically, uh, visibility and, and um, you know, information awareness that is one way, where other people know about you, where people with authority know about you, but you can't know about them. And so, in my view, one of the best ways to make sure that all, of, all four of these scenarios end up being, end up resulting in worlds that we'd be happy with, is to work, you know, work hard for mutual transparency, mutual open, openness, so that uh, knowing that these technologies are very likely to make privacy very difficult to maintain, make secrecy very difficult to maintain, we at least should, should work on making sure that everyone's secrets have been, it can be exposed, not just our own. One of the things that I've found interesting about this conference is the distinction about AI. It, it ain't what it used to be. Uh, that's, that's very true. AI has been a, uh, one of those technologies that's um, always just two decades away and has been for the last 50 years. And so the sense here is that there have been enough advances in our, both our understanding of, of cognitive science and our understanding of what machines can do that real, real AI, or what's referred to here as uh, artificial general intelligence, you know, may in fact be you know, no more than two decades away. Could you talk about the difference between artificial general intelligence and the kind of artificial intelligence that's, there's a lot of it about in the world right now, at least things that are called AI. Oh yeah, AI has actually been, as much as, as AI has a reputation of being a a 50-year-old dead-end technology or dead-end you know, study, it turns out that it's actually been very useful when you think of it not as trying to make HAL or C-3PO, but in terms of coming up with these really specialized, very narrow systems that do a very good job of helping you um, control complex devices or understand complex phenomena. Uh, there's AI in your car. It's not going to talk to you and, and be, be chatty, but it's going to uh, have a much much greater understanding of what's happening in the, the flows of heat and power in your vehicle than, than any driver would hope, could ever hope to have on his or her own. What AI, as it's understood today, means are these really narrow, specific forms of, of um, machine cognition that, that focus on particular subjects and can't be changed. You're not going to get uh, Deep Blue to start playing backgammon. It, it simply can't. It's focused only on chess. You know, well, you're not going to get a computer in your car to start playing chess. You're not going to get it to play World of Warcraft with you. Uh, it's a very dedicated system. 
Conversely, augmented general or artificial general intelligence is the idea that you can in fact create um, these machine cognition systems that rather than being focused on particular narrow subjects actually have the ability to learn something new. It's, yeah, it may, might know how to play chess, but it has the ability to learn how to play backgammon and eventually learn how to play it very well. It may know how, to, how your engine's working, but you could potentially learn how to drive the car. Uh, an a parallel that may, might make this uh, easier to understand is to think about um, computer chips. Right now, there are two kinds of computers that you, out there. Um, dedicated computers, or what's referred to as um, embedded computing, where you have a chip, a computer chip that just does one thing. It just controls lighting, or it just controls uh, environmental controls, or environmental flows in your car. And then you have like your desktop or laptop, which is a general purpose computer. You can, whatever you can find software for, you can get that software, you can, you can get that computer chip to run it. A general purpose computer, just like a general, uh, an uh, artificial general intelligence is adaptable. You know, whatever you can, uh, if, if there's a way to, to tell it how to do something, it, it can in principle do it. With a, uh, with a dedicated chip, just like with a, with a dedicated AI, it has one task and one task only. I'm wondering if you could talk about a little bit further about the part that science fiction plays in your work as a futurist and in the work that we see going on here at the Singularity Institute? I sometimes think of being a futurist as being a, um, a science fiction writer without a book contract. Um, a, a science fiction is rarely about just about the future. More often it's about the present and using um, the metaphor of the future as a way of helping us to get a, a, a new perspective on what's happening today. The role of science fiction in these kinds of events, whether it's the Singularity Summit or you know, the TED conference or in, you know, these myriad technology and foresight events, is to help give a, help, help give a narrative, help, give, help to give a dramatic flow to the stories that get told. The real world tends to be very random. The real world, in, in the real world, things seem to just happen. With a story, you, you have a better sense of why things are happening. And if those stories are well-crafted, you know, those explanations can help you understand what, what is happening in the real world. And so when you get a story about you know, the emergence of a, a self-aware machine in science fiction, you, know, you may know that the real world is not going to turn out exactly like that, but it can help you to understand what the implications might be. If the story is well written, it can help you understand what the, um, the uses and abuses of these technologies might be. As a futurist, I find these, these, these stories to be really useful jumping off points because they become a common point of conversation with the people I work with. You know, I can sit down with a client and we can talk about these technologies, and if, as long as we can have these touchstones of Star Trek or The Matrix, or even knowing that what we're really talking about will look nothing like these stories, they give us, an, they give us a common language. You know, we can talk about AIs, we can talk about you know, space travel, and know that we share a, a, an image of what that might be, you know, share an image of what that what that could never be, but tells us what we might want it to be. 
Science fiction is a really nice way of uncovering the tacit desires for tomorrow. We've been speaking with Jaime Cascio.